I could have easily given up the brand at that. It, I was just at that point. I know people can relate to that. And I, I didn't. I'm even getting emotional talking about like, I, I, I don't know why I didn't give up. And now fast forward from that time to now, the QVC launch and Walmart launch. Had I given up, we would have never been in QVC and Walmart. You can't get breakthrough results by doing things the same old way. Success in business only comes from fresh solutions. This show brings you the stories of entrepreneurs who did it their way so you can embrace doing it your way and build your own thing. You ever got a piece of advice that felt wrong, but it worked? I did. And I'm going to share it with you if you promise not to judge me. It was summer 2006, after my junior year of college. I was starting an internship as a stockbroker in training. This means I was cold calling millionaires to get them to move their money to our firm. My first week there was horrible. I couldn't even get the prospects to talk to me. The main reason? They all had secretaries and they wouldn't connect my call. Then my supervisor gave me the advice that I feel guilty about. His name was Mike. Mike pulled me to the side and said, Alex, the secret to getting past the secretaries is simple. Just be rude to them and keep it short. For example, let me talk to Greg. If your tone of voice is annoyed and rushed, they think you're someone important and that you know them well. Well, this worked like a charm. I started getting past that first hurdle, the gatekeepers. Talking to the millionaires was in itself a whole other problem, and I won't get into that now. The point here is that I managed that first step, getting past the gatekeeper. What you must realize is that success in any business requires that first step, getting your foot in the door. In some industries, the foot in the door is literally sneaking past the secretaries. But in most trades, your foot in the door is about landing a meeting with the decision makers. These are the people who control the resources, the ones that can make or break your company. In order to close the big deal, you first have to open the door. For this episode, I spoke to an entrepreneur who grew her business by securing distribution deals with the biggest retailers in her field. I am Angelique Velez, and I am the CEO and founder of Breakups to Makeup. Breakups to Makeup is a brand that launched in 2013 with the belief that makeup is more than just a product, but also a form of art. They don't sell makeup. Instead, they create everything around it. They make the accessories to organize, enhance, and celebrate the beauty industry. It's a great concept. And you can now buy their stuff at national retailers like Sephora, QVC, and Walmart. Securing this type of distribution is like striking gold. So you can imagine that it's not easy to do. Today, our goal is to find out what steps Angelique took to set herself up for success. Although every business's journey will be different, victory is rooted on a fundamental business concept that can be replicated 
by any brand that wants to partner with the big guys. When we talk about breakups to makeup, it's grown to have wide reach. But like all great things, it had a humble and functional start. Um, but I'm a makeup artist, so I've been doing makeup for over 15 years. And I had the idea for the brand after going through a really bad breakup. So at the time, I had been with the person for over six years. We like on the low shopping for like engagement rings here and there, like looking for things. And the breakup for me literally came out of nowhere. And I was devastated, completely devastated. So Looking back, like I was in a depression, like I was in a really dark place and I didn't want to do anything at all, nothing. Um, and doing my job, like makeup was the only thing to get me out of my apartment. It was the only thing to really get me out of bed because I didn't do anything else. I was so depressed. It was so bad. Um, so I feel like a lot of people can relate with that kind of story, though. And that last phrase gives us a clue towards how to build a brand that gets the attention of the big stores, a story that is relatable. Angelique went through a tough situation and felt a universal emotion, heartbreak. But successful founders don't simply build off of a relatable story. They go a step further. A blockbuster product requires that you get to know your customers deeply. This means getting to know what they like, how they think, and the problems they face. The only way to do this is to eliminate all distance between you and your audience. This, of course, is much easier if you're already part of that group. When it's an inside job, you know where the gaps are. So I wanted to create something that I knew um, both pro artists as well as the everyday person could use. And honestly, like in our industry makeup, there's so much, there's so many brands, there's so many products out there. I knew I didn't want to do makeup and I'm more of a fashionista myself. Like I love clothing and accessories and I love bags. I am a bag lady. Like if you see me, I have multiple bags all the time. Like I carry a big purse all the time. So I was like, you know what? Like, let me just dip into, I don't know, makeup bags. And then I didn't want to do just a traditional makeup bag. So I put a little twist and I called them makeup clutches. So this all was like a part of like the production process. Always, I always try to think outside of the box. So I created makeup clutches, which basically artists could use in their kit or the everyday person could use just as a statement piece, or you could use them basically to put anything inside of them. So that's kind of where the concept came from. And then I researched to find different either vendors or people that kind of produce things online to see if they could help me create the actual bag itself. So you see insights like these require that you infiltrate the scene. As an entrepreneur, this is the value you bring when working with major partners. You're connected at a grassroots level. There's no separation between the seller and the buyer. You're both the maker and the target consumer. This is market research that can't be bought. I love the term that Robert Greene uses for this. He says, you must crush all distance. He puts it this way in his book, The 50th Law. 
Understand, in this day and age, to reach people you must have access to their inner lives, their frustrations, aspirations, resentments. To do so, you must crush as much distance as possible between you and your audience. You enter their spirit and absorb it from within. Their way of looking at things becomes yours, and when you recreate it in some form of work, it has life. What shocks and excites you will then have the same effect on them. This requires a degree of fearlessness and an open spirit. You are not afraid to have your whole personality shaped by these intense interactions. You assume a radical equality with the public, giving voice to people's ideas and desires. What you produce will naturally connect in a deep way. So, in essence, because the big guys have too much bureaucracy, they miss out on this deep level of interaction. They're always in need of someone on the inside. As a startup founder, you do have one-on-one -on -one access to your customer base. You're using your smallness as an advantage. If you want to open up resources from the big players, you must act as if you were an independent agent operating on their behalf. Your job is to bring the best ideas to the table and to create the products that your audiences don't even know they want yet. As a one-man team, you'll be tempted to make excuses about your limited budget. Don't do it. Angelique didn't have much money to invest in the business, so she started small by launching on Etsy. I, I knew that Etsy was a good way to go because I didn't have to build my own website. It was already built for me. So literally, I just had to upload my images onto there, come up with a page name, um, you know, about me section. Like I filled in all the, the, the blanks, basically. They had the layout there for me. So I didn't have to think about that. And I believe the cost was per sale. So anytime I made a sale, Etsy would take a small percentage of the cost. So I didn't have to put any money forward either. So that's why I went the Etsy route. And yeah, what I did is I launched it within my community first. So on my Facebook page to my friends and family, I sent personal emails out. I literally just clicked select all to my contact list, like back when this was okay to do. And I just submit, like I sent an email to everyone. Hello guys, just launching this new product. Hope you love it. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think. And you could purchase it here. Like kind of something like that. And that's where I started. And yeah, I remember all the first purchases from that day. A lot of them were makeup artist friends and they would just email me back, you know, congratulations, just got one. But my, my expectations were exceeded if I have to think back because I didn't know if anybody was gonna buy. And I, I had, in the first week I had to at least have around 10 or 12 sales. 12 sales don't seem like much, but when we start out, all we need is a proof of concept. 12 sales let her know that her project has legs. She was now ready for phase two of her launch to sell the product in person. So 
within my community, within the makeup artistry community, we have a tr we have a different trade shows, right? But the one that is very near and dear to my heart is called the Makeup Show, um, and it's been around. The one in New York has been around well over ten years. I don't even know how long at this point, but it is like the show. It happens once a year in New York, and then now it happens in uh, other cities as well. Um, but in New York itself, like that was the place to be once a year, all artists would come gather. It served as a community. It served as a place where people would come and, and watch educational seminars. You would see different brands with, you know, vendors that had boots and you'd get products that were like deeply discounted. It was the place to go to. Right. So I knew that if I was launching something new to my community, that's where I wanted to be but it was very hard to get in. So the New York show, as far as vendors, it was always full and they, they would have a waiting list where you would have to wait. And a lot of times you, you wouldn't get in, like vendors couldn't get into the New York show. So I, I, you know, reached out to the owner I applied because I, I know, I know her and I know the person who started the makeup show itself. And they were like, you know, the New York show is full. But if you want to attend the show in Orlando, Florida, we could, we have a booth for you there. And mind you, Alex, this is when I, I first started. So I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit too. I did not take any, any loans. I did not take anything from a bank. Like I started by myself, my, my own bank account, my savings account. I was a freelancer at the time. So I was freelancing. I did not have a full-time job. I was a teacher at a school, at a makeup school, but even that was considered freelance because I didn't have like um, uh, set hours per se. I would have certain classes like every three weeks and then a break. And then if I had enrollment every three weeks again, you know, so it was semi-stable, but not a hundred percent stable kind of job. So um, whatever I had in savings, that was my savings. And the cost of the booth was not cheap. I had to pay for airfare to get there. I had to pay for hotel to get there, um, to stay there. And I needed to bring someone with me, right? So, but of course, as soon as they offered me that opportunity, I was like, yeah, we're doing it. I, I don't care what it takes, I'm doing it. Because I knew if I could get my foot in the door in Orlando and I could present my brand there and launch there, I was gonna get into the New York show. That was my whole goal, to get into the New York show. This is what founders do. They might have a grand vision for the company, but they play as if all that matters is the next step. As the Chinese say, to get through the hardest journey, we need take only one step at a time, but we must keep on stepping. So I launched at that show and I'm even getting chills right now thinking about it. The feedback about the brand and just the community, how they reacted. It was so good. Any everything I could ever dream of at that point in time. Um, because people would come up and they're like, oh, what is this? Is this an organization or, or is this, are we donating to something? I'm like, no, this is my brand. And I would explain it. And, and we sold out, we sold out of the t-shirts. Uh, we sold out of most of the clutches. And at that point I had three slogans that we launched, one of which was on a clutch and then all three were on shirts and we sold out of everything. Now she really had some momentum going. Her idea had been validated. But business mirrors life. The only constant is change. As the small guy, we're nimble. That's our advantage. So we must keep improving through experiments and testing.
because I had to toy around with like the concept itself. And then once I found like a vendor I wanted to work with, we did a couple, a couple sample rounds first. And then I, I ran with it from there. But the design itself has changed. It's developed over time. So like my initial bag looks nothing like how my bags look now, how they're easily wipeable. Now, most of my bags are vegan. Um, uh, most of my bags now, um, you can wipe them from the interior as well as the exterior. Whereas my original one, um, they were canvas. So I took a lot of the feedback from my community and tried to implement that as quickly as possible. Um, because honestly, when I first launched, it was more about, I guess, the wording and the brand name and the messaging than the product itself. And then the product developed a little bit later on. So that way the product was suitable for pro makeup artists and the everyday person. So my vegan, my vegan faux leather clutch, for example, that's my baby. You have no idea. I had dreamt about creating a clutch like that from the beginning, but I had no clue how to do that at all. So that develops later on after working with different vendors and, and working with different buyers and getting feedback and finding connection. But that bag, I want to say that bag launched in either 2015 or 2016. So three years after my first bag launched. So I asked her about her creative process. What I wanted to know was how she decides which designs are good enough to produce. To answer your question, I almost do the testing within my followers. If I see it's something that people really are relating to and they're commenting about and they ask more about it, they're like, I want to see that on a t-shirt. That's when I go forward with it. Yeah, so my followers are like my focus group, I guess. Through these experiments and polls, she kept improving her products. As the months passed, the brand developed a strong following within the makeup artist community. But her presence was still very local. She had bigger fish to fry. And her eyes on the prize. And then the New York show was the next May. So the next year in May, and we got in. We got in. And that was like another phase for breakups to makeup at that point. Because that we were in the biggest show, you know, in my hometown. People knew to look for me. People visited the booth. And this is where the next chapter begins. And you're not even going to believe this story. So at the makeup show in New York, like I told you, and it is so randomly I'm behind the booth. I'm so, I talked to everyone, um, products were selling out, just talking, talking, talking. And all of a sudden these women come up and I'm just talking to them and then they leave and then they come back again and then they leave and then they come back again. And then finally one of the women, she was like, you know, we're from Sephora and we really love your stuff. And I was, I, I was like, what? <laughs> They're like, can we have your card? We're gonna be in contact. And then they left the booth and I almost fainted. I had to sit down and I was like, my friend was there with me. She's like, Chris actually was there. And she's like, what, what, what just happened? I'm like, that, that, that was Sephora. They're going to call me. <laughs> and, and that was it, Alex. Like, I, I think I, I probably cried. Knowing me, I cried. So. The big boys are now taking notice. 
This gives us the crucial missing piece to the strategy of major partnerships. When I say you must crush all distance between you and your audience, you have to realize that you're fighting a battle on two fronts. On one front, you're getting to know the consumer base deeply. But on the second front, you're also showing up everywhere that the major players go. This is the allure of trade shows and conferences. They're loaded with gatekeepers. Buyers are everywhere looking for the next big thing. This next big thing could be you. Angelique knew she had a great product on her hands, but she also had doubts. I, I didn't think they were going to call me. I'm not going to lie because, you know, doing shows so often. Well, actually, at that point, it wasn't so often. But, you know, you take a card from someone. How often do you actually hear from that person? I feel like 20% of the time. You know what I mean? So I was like, ah, they're not going to call. But they, they called and they wanted to set up a meeting. So we set up the first meeting and we just we just kind of talked. We talked about ideas. They talked about my initial um, samples, like my initial canvas bags, um, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they wanted to change. And then, and then I talked to them about what my my goals were for the bags and what I wanted to see as far as like being wipeable and stuff like that. Uh, and, and the conversation went from there. It really was a collaborative conversation. I would say they were interested in hearing um, my perspective as well. Um, and they were in love with a lot of the slogans and that's really what spoke to them. And then we were able to incorporate that on, on bags that were the next level, basically, you know, that were Sephora quality kind of bag. And I was able to do like, Working with them, it really opened my eyes to see what possibilities were out there because I did not know. I didn't know before. Um, so it really, it really helped with that. But now a dose of reality. When your dreams are about to take off, they still require a long runway. So we were working over a year before the launch even happened. So when the launch happened in 2016, that's when I gave birth to my son and then things were officially uh, out there in Sephora. So that was a great year. My, my first year, you know, was kind of a struggle. I feel everyone because you're, you know, just starting out. You can't expect to be like selling like crazy when you're just starting out. But my third year, oh, that was a good year. That was a good year. But a good year didn't cloud Angelique's judgment. She knew she had to keep her foot on the pedal. What got her to this position was that she was tapped into the beauty industry. This was no time to give up the inside connection. So I was still an educator. I still worked at a school. I still freelanced. I still had private clients. Um, I did production work. Um, at that time, I had just gotten into the union as well. So I was doing a lot more production work. Um, so yes, I was balancing the two and I was, I was doing makeup as much as I was focusing on the business. So I would go and work. And if you're not familiar with like production, it'd be 12, 16 hour days. And then I would come home and focus on the business. Or if I was teaching, I would teach, come home from class and then focus on the business. So I always focused on the business every night, um, as well as doing makeup artistry. For me, it was necessary. And also, I'm not going to lie to you, as far as getting the brand out there with my students, that was huge because they they were so 
I don't want to the word smitten, but they they couldn't believe that I had I was their teacher as well as the owner of Breakups Makeup, a brand that's now in Sephora. Like it was like a big deal to them. So it, I got I gained a lot of followers that way as well because they would tell their friends. So it was something that I I needed at that point to be doing both things. Her mentality was, if it ain't broken, why fix it? Except that things break. And remember that thing I said earlier about the only constant in life being change? Yeah, that. It was at a point where I was still doing trade shows. I was still doing everything I was doing before, but those things were no longer working for me. And that's going to happen if you're an entrepreneur. Just so, so you guys, if you're just starting out, it's going. To, this is going to happen. It's inevitable. So things that were working for me before, where I was like selling out at shows and like my products were selling constantly, it's it's started to like just go down. Like. It, the sales weren't there anymore. The shows, my products weren't selling out at the shows anymore. I wasn't making back what I was making before. So I was putting all this money out and not getting it back. And I started to get very frustrated because I was like, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And all those thoughts start to come into my head. Um, and then I remember at one point I had um, run a contest I don't remember what we were, we, we do contests and giveaways often, you know, cause I really like to give out product to people, especially if they can't afford, I want to make sure people can get it. Um, and I, I launched this giveaway and Alex, I kid you not, no one did it. No one entered the giveaway. I was like, how is this? Whereas before we would get like, and you know, you know, looking back now, we have no control over things like that, especially if you're, if you're launching stuff on Instagram and Facebook, because with the algorithm, we don't own Instagram or Facebook. So we have no control over those things. And looking back now, I, did, I never sent it out to my email subscribers. I literally, we just focused on, I think it was just Instagram. And I was so fed up because I was like, it was already, I was already in that mindset. And then that happened. I was like, forget this. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I remember I talked to my fiance and I talked to my mom and my fiance was like, you know what? You know, you can't give it up. So I don't know what you're talking about. Like, don't speak like that. But he was like, if that's what you think, why don't you give yourself a couple more months and, you know, see what happens. But I disagree with your thinking. And I was like, yeah, yeah, of course you have to say that, you know? And my mom, like, same thing, you know, they're my biggest supporters. So I wound up putting like this <laughs> message on my personal Facebook page, something, I don't even remember what it said now, but it was probably pretty dark. Like, I don't understand what's going on. People say they will support you and then they don't support you. And like, I don't, I don't remember. I, I, I was venting on Facebook and I remember so many people commented there like, we don't know what you're talking about. We never saw the contest. Oh my God, we love your brand. Don't go anywhere. You know, you make the best stuff. It was like all these comments and I was like, okay. And then I had a friend of mine who reached out and she was like, you know, I'm, I'm running this program I think it would be great for you and I was like eh, all right I'm into programs you know so I said okay I'll try it out and once again it was I couldn't afford it at the time I could I wasn't making the money I was making before and I was putting out all this money and it wasn't coming back and I was like you know what let me try it and it was it wasn't how do I explain it? It wasn't even with people in my industry. It was an entrepreneur program with other like-minded individuals that I was able to kind of bounce ideas off of kind of what you were saying earlier. And 
After that, I felt so much better. And I realized how important that was. So I threw myself into education at that point when I was very, like when I was feeling low. I listened to podcasts, I read the books, I, I researched to see who was doing what I wanted to do. And I researched them and I basically stopped them. So in my mind now, I have all these mentors that don't even know I'm alive. Um, but that helped me get through that funk. On your journey, you'll be tempted to rely on social media as your feedback machine. The bitter truth is, it should be a tool, but it shouldn't be the whole arsenal. If you want to remain valuable to the gatekeepers, you can't outsource one-on-one -on -one customer interactions. Instead, you must open up as many channels as possible between you and your audience. Don't rely on something you have no control over. And we don't own Facebook. We don't own Instagram. And like you said, they're, they're a business. So they don't owe us anything, you know, and it's not about us. It has nothing to do with us, you know, and I feel as though when people, that's one thing about social media and I love social media. Don't get me wrong because my business is what it is because of it. But a lot of people get into their own heads and their own emotions because of it, because they didn't get X amount of likes or because they didn't get X amount of comments. And or because someone didn't say something to them about what they were going through, where the truth is that person might not even have seen it. If there's one thing I know is that a setback can be a setup for a comeback if you don't let up. And Angelique did not let up. Instead, she set herself up for the next chapter of partnerships. I continue to do trade shows and I still, I mean, now I can't with COVID, but back before I had all trade shows booked for this year, uh, trade shows are really where I'm able to not only interact with other people and, and find new, um, new clients or consumers, but it's also where I'm able to meet buyers. So it's a trade shows are big for our industry. Um, and I was able to actually, I went to, um, a trade show called a trade show called Cosmo pro, uh, which it happens in, different areas but i went to the one here in the u.s last year in vegas and i had gone to it the year before too and as a vendor at cosmo pro you can apply to pitch your product for qvc hsn um zulily as well so i did it two years in a row the first year you know i didn't hear anything the second year i honestly didn't hear anything either uh but the second year i felt better about it and then after i had pitched the product in vegas i came home around a week later and i saw they were having something called the big fine like i saw it on facebook randomly like an ad saying that qvc and hsn is looking for like the next big thing apply here and i was like well i just pitched to them in vegas but you know what it doesn't hurt to apply and do it again why not right so i applied i got called in um, so I went in in person in New York City and there were a bunch of different brands there. Like it was jam packed, like they called in a lot of brands. I can't remember what the number is now, but I want to say over 5,000 brands applied. It might've been more. I can't, I can't remember. Um, and then a certain amount got called in to pitch, you know, in different cities in the U S one of which was New York City. So I got called to go into New York City. Um, I pitched there and when I went, one of um, the women that worked at QVC was also in Vegas when I pitched there and, and she just came up, she's like, hi, Angelique. She, I, Alex, I couldn't even remember her name. And I was like, oh my, you remember me? I can't believe this, you know? And I, I pitched for them again and I left and 
And that, that was it. I, I didn't get what they did is at that point when you pitched, you could get something called a golden ticket where that was your ticket to go straight to the QVC offices, meaning that your brand was going to be put in front of buyers in QVC. And then from there, you would take it to see if it was going to actually be on QVC. I didn't get a golden ticket, but during that process, one of the women was like, you know what? Look, you're going to be hearing from us. And once again, I was like, okay, but I didn't get a golden ticket, but okay. And I laughed and I was like, oh, I didn't get that golden ticket. Two weeks later, I got an email. And then I think three weeks later from that, I was in Pennsylvania in the QVC offices talking with the buyers and pitching to the buyers. Her products launched on QVC a couple months back with a six-minute feature on national television. It represents another strong partnership for the brand and will open even more doors down the line. But this latest victory also proves that Angelique has enough grit to bounce back higher than she falls. And beyond that, it's opened her eyes to the scope of her operations. I've realized that, yes, Breakups to Makeup is the brand, but I am the brand. Angelique Velez, like I'm more of the brand. So within Angelique Velez, I now have Breakups to Makeup. I have my makeup artistry. I have my makeup mastermind. I have the um, Hey Glow Friend podcast. All of that are under me. Um, and I want to continue to see that expand. And I want to, I, my biggest thing, honestly, is I just really want to help others who feel as though they have something that they want to put out there, but they don't know how. Angelique has embraced that she's part of a strong community. This was the spark to ignite her success. So she wants to help others do the same. As an entrepreneur, you want to build partnerships with the major players in your field. To do this, you must provide something that the big guys can't do for themselves. This means you must use your smallness as a weapon. This means you have to build momentum from the ground up. You do this by connecting with your community on a personal level. You must get to know it from the inside out. At the same time, you must also put yourself in the right places to be found by the big dogs. They're always on the lookout for a hungry founder. Be there with a good story and a tested product, and they will choose you. But first, you must choose yourself. You can find me on Instagram. My personal Instagram is the Angelique Technique. Breakups to Makeup is at Breakups to Makeup. And then I have the Mastermind, which is just launching this fall. It's at my Makeup Mastermind. And all the links for everything else are over there on Instagram. That's where I, where I live mostly is on Instagram. My peoples, thank you so much again for tuning in to an episode of Your Own Thing. I'm so happy to be back. I got a great response from my first episode back. So if you haven't checked it out, 
make sure you scroll down a little bit and check that episode out. I think it came out really, really well. Um, but no, I just want to thank you all again for welcoming me with open arms as always uh, for the feedback, uh, for all the positive comments and all the Instagram messages and everything. And I just want to thank you again for subscribing and for sharing. Uh, it all means a lot to me and it all goes a long way to let me know that this is valuable and that I should continue to make it. So um, I'm going to be here as long as you guys keep listening. So I hope you enjoy and have a great rest of your week.